Chapter Five of the Blue Envelope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Today's reading by John Larson in Minnesota. The Blue Envelope by Roy J. Snell. Chapter Five. Cast Adrift. There was a shallow space beneath a tray of color tubes in the very bottom of Marion's paint box. There, on leaving Cape Prince of Wales, she had stowed the blue envelope addressed to Phi Beta Chi. She had not done this without misgivings. Disturbing thoughts had come to her. Was it the right thing to do? Was it safe? The latter question had come to her with great force when she saw the grizzled miner's face framed in the porthole of that schooner. But from the day they landed at Whaling, on the mainland of Siberia, all thoughts of the letter and the two claimants for its possession were completely crowded from her mind. Never in all her adventurous life had Marian experienced anything quite so thrilling as this life with the Chukchis of the Arctic coast of Siberia. In Alaska the natives had had missionaries and teachers among them for thirty years, they had been Americanized and, in a sense, Christianized. The development of large mining centers to which they journeyed every summer to beg and barter had tended to rob them of the romantic wildness of their existence. But here, here where no missionaries had been allowed, nor teachers been sent, where gold gleamed still ungathered in the beds of the rivers, here the natives still dwelt in their dome-like houses, of poles and skins. Here they fared boldly forth in search of dangerous walrus and white bear and monstrous whale. Here they made strange fire to the spirits of the monsters they had slaughtered, and spoke in grave tones of the great spirit that had come down from the moon in the form of a raven with a beak of old ivory. It is little wonder that Marian forgot all thought of fear amid such surroundings, as she worked industriously at the sketches which were to furnish her with three years of wonderful study under great masters. But one day, after six weeks of veritable dream life, as she lifted the tray to her paint-box, her eyes fell on that blue envelope. Instantly a flood of remembrance rushed through her mind, the frank-faced college boy, the angry miner, old rover the dog who sleek and fat on whale meat lay curled up beside her then again the grizzled face of the miner framed in a porthole all these passed before her mind's vision and left her chilled her hand trembled she could not control her brush the sketch of two native women in deerskin union suits their brown shoulders bared working at the task of splitting walrus skins went unfinished while she took a long walk down the beach. That very evening she had news that caused her blood to chill again. A native had come from East Cape, the next village to the south. He had seen a white man there, a full-bearded man of middle age. He had said that he intended coming to Whaling in a few days. He had posed among the natives as a spirit doctor and had, according to reports, worked many wonderful cures by his incantations. Three whales had come into the hands of the East Cape hunters, 
This was an excellent catch, and had been taken as a good omen. The bearded stranger was doubtless highly favored by the spirits of dead whales. "'I wish our skin-boat would come for us,' said Lucille suddenly, as they talked of it in the privacy of their tent. "'But it won't, not for three weeks yet. That was the agreement.' "'I know.' "'And we haven't a wireless to call them with. Besides, my sketches are not nearly complete.' "'I know.' said lucile her chin in her hands but all the same that man makes me afraid well i'll hurry my sketches but that won't bring the boat any sooner had marian known the time she would have for sketching she might not have done them so rapidly as it was she worked the whole long eighteen-hour days through in the meantime chill winds began sweeping down from the north still the bearded white man did not come to whaling but every day brought fresh reports of the good fortune of the people of East Cape. They had captured a fourth whale, then a fifth. Their food for the winter was secured. Whale meat was excellent food. They would have an abundance of whalebone to trade for flour, sugar, and tea. But if the East Capers were favored, the men of whaling were not. One lone whale, and that a small one, was their total take which doctors began declaring that the presence of strange, white-faced women in their midst was displeasing to the spirits of dead whales. The making of the images of the people on canvas was also sure to bring disaster. As reports of this dissatisfaction came to the ears of the girls, they began straining their eyes for a square of sail on the horizon. Still their boat did not come. Then came the crowning disaster of the year, the walrus herd on which the natives based their last hope passed south along the coast of Alaska instead of Siberia. Their caches were left empty. Only the winter's supply of white bear and seal could save them from starvation. Desra, Desra, it is enough, the natives whispered among themselves. The day after the return of the walrus canoes, Marion and Lucille went for a long walk down the beach. Upon rounding a point in the return, Marion suddenly gave a gasp. Look, Lucille, it's gone, our tent. Gone? exclaimed Lucille, unbelieving. I wonder what... Look, Marion, the whole village. Let's run. Where to? We'd starve in two days or freeze. Come on, they won't hurt us. With anxious hearts and trembling footsteps, they approached the solid line of fur-clad figures which stretched along the southern outskirts of the village. As they came close, they heard one word repeated over and over, Desra, Desra, enough, enough. And as the natives almost chanted this single word, they pointed to the sled on which the girls' belongings had been neatly packed. To the sled three dogs were hitched, two young wolfhounds with Rover as leader. "'They want us to go,' whispered Lucille. "'Yes, and where shall we go?' "'East Cape is the only place.' "'And that miner?' "'It may not be he.' Three times Marion tried to press her way through the line. Each time the line grew more dense at the point she approached. Not a hand was laid upon her. She could not go through, that was all. The situation thrilled her as much as it troubled her. Here was a people kind at heart, but superstitious. 
They believed that their very existence depended upon getting these two strangers from their midst. What was there to do but go? They went, and all through the night they assisted the little dog team to drag the heavy load over the first thin snow of autumn. Over and over again Marian blessed the day she had been kind to old Rover, because he was a white man's dog, for he was the pluckiest puller of them all. Just as dawn streaked the east, they came in sight of what appeared to be a rude shack built of boards. As they came closer, they could see that some of the boards had been painted, and some had not. Some were painted halfway across, and some only in patches of a foot or two. They had been hastily thrown together. The whole effect, viewed at a distance, resembled nothing so much as a crazy quilt. "'Must have been built from the wreckage of a house,' said Lucille. "'Yes, or a boat.' "'A boat?' "'Yes, look, there it is, out there, quite a large one. "'It's stranded on the sandbar and half broken up.' "'The girls paused in consternation. "'It seemed they were hedged in on all sides by perils. "'To go back was impossible. "'To go forward was to throw themselves upon the mercies of a gang of rough seamen.' To pass around the cabin was only to face the bearded stranger, who, they had reason to believe, was none other than the man who had demanded the blue envelope. A few minutes' debate brought them to a decision. They would go straight on to the cabin. Mush, Rover, mush! Marion threw her tired shoulders into the improvised harness, and once more they moved slowly forward. It was with wildly beating hearts that they eventually rounded the corner of the cabin and came to stand by the door. At once an exclamation escaped their lips. Empty! Deserted! And so it proved. Snow that had fallen two days before lay piled within the half-open doorway. No sign of occupation was to be found within, save a great rusty galley range, two rickety chairs, an improvised table, two rusty kettles, and a huge frying-pan. "'They had given the ship up as a total loss "'and have left in dories or skin-boats,' said Marion. "'Yes,' agreed Lucille, "'wanted to get across the straits "'before the coming of the white line.' "'The coming of the white line,' Marion started. "'She knew what that meant far better than Lucille did. "'She had lived in Alaska longer, "'had seen it oftener.' Now she thought what it would mean to them if it came before the skin-boat came for them. And that skin-boat, what would happen when it came to whaling? Would the Chukchis tell them in which direction they had gone? And if they did, would the Eskimo boatmen set their sail and go directly to East Cape? If they did, would they miss this diminutive cabin, standing back as it did from the shore, and seeming but a part of the sandbar? "'We'll put up a white flag, a skirt or something, on the peak of the cabin,' she said, half talking to herself. "'Do you think we ought to go right on to East Cape?' said Lucille. "'We can't decide that now,' said Marion. "'We need food and sleep, and the dogs need rest.' Some broken pieces of drift were piled outside the cabin. They made a ready fire. They were soon enjoying a feast of fried fish and canned beans. Then, with their water-soaked mucklucks, skin-boots, and stockings hanging by the fire, they threw deer-skin on the rude bunk attached to the wall, 
and were soon fast asleep. Out on the wreck, some two hundred yards from shore, a figure emerged from a small cabin aft. The stern of the ship had been carried completely about by the violence of the waves. It had left this little cabin, formerly the wireless cabin, high and dry. The person came out upon the deck and scanned the horizon. Suddenly his eyes fell upon the cabin and the strange white signal which the girls had set fluttering there before they went to sleep. Sliding a native skin kayak down from the deck, he launched it, then leaping into the narrow seat began paddling rapidly toward the shore. Having beached his kayak, he hurried toward the cabin. His hand was on the latch when he chanced to glance up at the white emblem of distress which floated over his head. His hand dropped to his side, his mouth flew open, an expression of amazement spread over his face. "'Jumpin' Jupiter!' he muttered beneath his breath. He beat a hasty retreat. Once in the kayak, he made double time back to the wreck. Marion was the first to awaken in the cabin. By the dull light that shone through the cracks, she could tell that it was growing dark. Springing from her bunk, she put her hand to the latch. Hardly had she done this than the door flew open with a force that threw her back against the opposite wall. Fine particles of snow cut her face. The wind set every loose thing in the cabin bobbing and fluttering. The skirt they had attached to the stout pole as a signal was booming overhead like a gun. "'Wow! A blizzard!' she groaned. Seizing the door, she attempted to close it. Twice the violence of the storm threw her back. When at last her efforts had been rewarded with success, she turned to rouse her companion. "'Lucille! Lucille! Wake up! A blizzard!' Lucille turned over and groaned. Then she opened her eyes. "'What? What?' she droned sleepily. "'A blizzard! A blizzard from the north!' Lucille sat up quickly. "'From the north?' she exclaimed, fully awake in an instant. "'The ice?' "'Perhaps.' "'And if it comes?' We're stuck, that's all. Siberia for nine months. Won't dare try to cross the straits on the ice. No white man has ever done it, let alone a woman. Well, she smiled, we've got food for five days, and five days is a long time. We'd better try to bring in some wood and get the dogs in here. They'd freeze out there. End of chapter 5